Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, good evening, good evening, Red Raider Nation. This is Joe with the Cotton Club crew coming to you tonight from the heartland of the South Plains, that being Lubbock, Texas. I have a very special episode tonight. I am joined by Mr. Cougar himself, Jake Hatch from Locked On Cougars. We've talked to him a couple of times, um, one earlier on this year about joining the Big 12 and as far as newcomers coming into the Big 12, we did a preview show with them talking football, going into Provo for the first time in a long time. And now basketball's upon us and the Big 12, Big 12 basketball. It, I, there's, there's no better conference in the U.S. right now other than the Big 12. Quad one game after quad one game, away, home, we're stacked from top to bottom, top 25 teams, eight teams there. And it's just a really fun time to be in the basketball landscape of the Big 12. How are you doing this evening, Mr. Hatch? Doing great. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here again. Most definitely, most definitely. I know you're not – this is going to be a little bit off of what we're going to talk about, but I saw some pictures on Twitter earlier, and I was kind of – I wanted to get your take because obviously BYU and everything like that. Do you guys travel in a blue airplane? Uh, I, I don't think that's always the case, but there are there have been circumstances, yes, where BYU has shown up to certain locations with a blue plane. They do charter, obviously, with the men's and uh, men's uh, basketball, and women's basketball teams, and I guess depending on uh, whichever jet happens to be available that day, they may very well be blue. <laughs> it was a sight to see. I I was on y'all's Twitter earlier this afternoon, and I took a look at the you know players heading to to good old Lubbock, Texas, and. They were boarding a blue plane, and I had to get your thoughts on it. I had to know if there was anything. Is this how you guys travel normally, or or whatnot, or if this a once off kind of deal? So, yeah, I thanks. think it's I think it's more of just like a luck luck of the draw. Whoever they charter through, it's like okay, we have this plane available. It just what happens it was a blue plane. <laughs> I'm sure that the Lubbock natives will be taking note of that plane coming into Lubbock and leaving Lubbock in the next yep. 24 to 48 hours. So. On to the game itself. Texas Tech 14 and 3, BYU 14 and 3. If I'm not mistaken, I wrote everything down. Texas Tech, top of the conference, 3 and 1 in the Big 12. You guys are sitting, you know, holding serve 2 and 2, but you guys have won some very, very difficult games as every Big 12 game is this year. Let's talk about Coach Pope, um, ex basketball player, probably going to be the tallest basketball coach in the Big 12, standing at 6'10, ex Kentucky guy from right around that area, the nine, 
95, 96 area. What kind of coach is Mark Pope? Is he more offensive side of the ball, more defensive side of the ball? We kind of have a mixed bag in the Big 12. What are Tech fans getting when um, Coach Pope brings the Cougars to Lubbock tomorrow? Uh, Pope is more, if you had to kind of peg which side of the basketball he happens to favor, I'd probably say it's more offense, but this is a guy who's pretty well-rounded, obviously spent some time in the NBA after his run with Kentucky. Uh, he styles a lot of what he has done over, uh, kind of behind the, what, uh, he learned at the foot of guys like Rick Pitino, who was his coach at Kentucky back in the day. And he's kind of put his own spin on things. But the one thing I know about coach Pope, he's got this effervescent personality. It's just, it's, uh, it's a hundred miles an hour at all times. Uh, if you if you fall behind, he's uh, liable to blow right uh, past you and to not even look back. But that that's the thing about him is he is a guy who wants nothing more than to lead BYU to success. And uh, so far in the Big 12, they've held their own. They're two and two, as you mentioned, in conference play right now. And they're coming into this game against Tech with a, a two game win streak under their belt. Yeah, two two very big time wins, especially the Iowa State. Iowa State just football, basketball. These guys are just hard nose and it's tough and you guys got them at home which i think you guys kind of dodged the bullet there playing in Ames in that basketball arena as many know and it's well documented that you know it's one of the tougher venues to play in the big 12 you know with exception to the fog you know it's just very very tough so you guys you know held y'all's own won that game you know by double digits you know a tough tough team to beat Obviously, that same team beat Houston <laughs> not too long ago. So this also just going back into how much the how strong this Big 12 conference is. So starting five for you guys, we have Hall, Johnson, Robinson, Waterman, and Khalifa. That's who you guys have been running with, you know, with the injuries to Nell and um Fuseni Trore. Foose, right, is what you guys Fus. call him. Big Foose, yeah. So as far as offense go, I know that you guys shoot a, the three-pointer a lot as well. You guys have two big guys, 6'11", between Waterman and Khalifa. Mm -hmm. How does this offense usually plan on attacking, you know, these defenses of the Big 12? Uh, you mentioned they like to shoot the three. They have a stated goal. They've, made, they've said it on the record multiple times. They want to hoist up at least 35 three-pointers in a game. They, they're going to they're gonna shoot. And the whole adage, you live and die by the three, well, that's kind of a lot of what BYU's whole uh, mentality is predicated on with this offense. It, it's very much kind of an NBA style. Anybody who's watched the NBA, you know that the style and the, the whole philosophy in the NBA right now is either you go to the rim or you shoot the three. And that's kind of what BYU has adopted in the way they've attacked things. Uh, what changed most recently for them against Iowa State was more of the attacking at the rim. And that th one thing BYU had been far too passive in their first two games of the Big 12 losses to Cincinnati and also the loss to Baylor was they were too reliant on the outside shot falling. So I think they had a renewed effort against UCF and more importantly against Iowa State, as you mentioned in that blowout win on Tuesday, is they went to the rim and they forced the action uh, against Iowa State. When there was an open three short, they were going to take it, but they were not afraid to go to the rim. They got rewarded with extra free throws, got some really, really nice uh, buckets at, at the, at, right there at the rim. So it's going to be interesting to see how BYU attacks Tech in this game because BYU knows that they've got to pick up some road wins here and there, but uh, going to a place like Lubbock seems like a far a far tougher task than maybe UCF was the last week. Yeah, Lubbock, it's going to be jumping. It's, I mean, I, it's whenever we have all of our students here, top 25 kind of matchup, that kind of team coming in and this kind of, you know, coming off of a very tough loss at Houston on Wednesday, 
we're going to be ready. Um, the faithful are going to be ready. Expect probably in upwards of 15,000 people to be in attendance for this basketball game. I know you're not going to be able to actually join us in Lubbock this go around, but maybe one day you'll get to see, you know, the atmosphere of, of um, the, the United Supermarkets Arena or um, Spirit Arena was formerly known as, you know, whenever it was first opened. So it's going to be electric. And obviously you guys have traveled in the Big 12. You guys are kind of getting acclimated to what the Big 12 conference is as far as it goes in, in basketball. So having said that, is has Coach Pope preached anything going into this game about, you know, handling atmosphere, adversity on the road, or is that just a common mantra for this Cougars team being in the Big 12? Well, I actually asked him a similar question during media availability this week when I was out there and talking with him. And I asked him, like, is the Big 12 kind of shaping up the way that you thought it was going to shape up? And he kind of looked at me and he's like, well, honestly, I'm kind of learning right along you guys, right <laughs> along you guys, what the Big 12 is going to all entail. But he did say that, yes, the road venues here, this is a completely different animal. It's more of kind of harkening back to, to when BYU was part of the Mountain West Conference. Uh, when they were in the Mountain West, they had Utah there. TCU was in that conference. And there were some really, really good road environments. But for the 13 years before BYU joined the Big 12, they've been in the West Coast Conference. And really outside of going to St. Mary's and going to Gonzaga, you never got a crowd of any significance when it came to BYU and road environments. That's one thing I think BYU is going to have to adapt to here in the Big 12 is knowing that every time you go on the road, they went to UCF last week. They've already been to Baylor in their new arena down there in Waco. And now, as you mentioned here, 15,000 plus a potential sellout on Saturday against Texas Tech. This is what BYU is wanting. But at the same time, some of these players have never experienced these type of road environments, and that's going to take some adaptation. So I, I did like the fact that they kind of handled things against UCF. That was a really raucous crowd down right. there. They'd upset Kansas. But Lubbock is an established fan base. Uh, the, the Red Raider fans are going to be there, and it's it's going to be it's going to be rocking. And the other thing I'll say about this, if any of you have been paying attention to BYU social media, there's going to be a pretty healthy contingent of BYU fans, and they're not traveling from out of state. Those are actually mainly locals from around West Texas. They're making the trip up to Lubbock or they're maybe living there in Lubbock. They're going to travel out. It should be a really, really fun environment. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to see what kind of, you know, fans from BYU that are localized here in this general area with the, um, with the, the LDS church and everything like that, just to see them come out because, you know, eventually you guys are going to play baseball here. Eventually you guys are going to play football here. So uh -huh. you guys travel well. You guys have a huge fan base. I mean, worldwide, as we've discussed on this show before, and it's going to be really interesting to see a, a mixture. It's kind of weird because I, I haven't necessarily seen a bigger mixture of, you know, red and black and then any other alternate colors out there. You know, you'll yeah. see the stragglers of the burnt orange here, there, everywhere, but normally it's kind of localized to right behind the bench area. And that's the only section that you'll see the opposing team's color. So if we see some scattered blue pieces in there, I'm all for it because I don't have any issues with any kind of BYU fans yet. Maybe. I don't know. But, <laughs> well, um, but I can tell you, I can tell you, Iowa State, Iowa State fans have got some issues with BYU. They had one of their best players kicked out after he threw an elbow into the uh, chin of uh, Richie Saunders on Tuesday night. And uh, if you pay attention to social media during that game, there's Iowa State fans. Can't, just I can't wait for March 6th when you always have to come here to aim. Right. Right. 
Okay, you know what? This is what we wanted. This is what BYU fans have this, wanted this for is, years. This is this is Big Twelve basketball. Yeah. I don't I don't expect the intensity to drop off any that we're only four games in. I ex- just expect you know as these records start creeping up, people are getting wins on away at home. Yeah. I just expect the intensity of the the conference to be elevated that much more. So it's going to be interesting to see moving forward what what Texas Tech does and what BYU does moving forward. So just talking about specific players here, obviously your your main guy is going to be Robinson. What are his strong points of the game? What's he do well? What's he struggle with? What are the Tech faithful going to be looking for on Saturday from this player? So Jackson Robinson's a former four-star prospect. He spent time at Texas A&M in Arkansas before coming to BYU. And he's finally come into his own. He's starting to get some NBA draft buzz. And the one thing Tech fans are going to notice is he is a smooth operator. The whole phrase, uh, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, it kind of describes his whole his whole way of he play uh, how he plays basketball. He's a long strider. He's got great length. He's got he's six foot seven, but he's got a seven one wingspan, and he uses that length to great effect on both sides of the ball. If he has to, when he goes to the rim, he's got that just kind of those extendo gadget arms, as, as it were, that just keep going on, and he can find a way to get that ball to the rim. But he, the other thing about it is he's not afraid for, to pull from anywhere on the court. And so far this year, in large doses, he's by and large made those shots. So he'll pull from forty feet if he has to if he's feeling it but at the same time he's got the ability to attack from all angles at the rim in the mid-range and also go out to three-point land and really hurt you and that's that's a big reason why NBA uh, scouts are paying more attention to him because he's got the length he's got the athleticism and the other thing about it is he's he's a willing defender as well he's not just kind of uh, taking it easy on on defense BYU's defense requires all five guys on the court to be engaged it's kind of the whole way that uh, Cahill Fennell their assistant coach who I call their defensive coordinator he he demands that all five guys on the court to defend and a guy like Jackson Robinson. Yeah. He's not, he's not being hidden on defense to save him for offense. He's got to, he plays both ways. So uh, expect to see him uh, playing in large doses in this game, especially as you mentioned, if Trevin Nell is unavailable, his status is uh, still up in the area, injured his foot against UCF, missed the game against Iowa state. And the hope is he's available for tech, but uh, TBD on if he plays, but if he doesn't expect to see Jackson Robinson playing 30, 35 minutes in this game. With Jackson Robinson being the kind of player he is, is that one of those deals? Has he, is there any, what's his like his weaker points is, or whenever he's having an off night, what are the things that he's doing? Is he passing the ball, making turnovers, or just putting the ball up whenever he's just ice cold kind of deal? Uh he can be too passive. That's the thing about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. He can actually uh, pass up on shots. That's the thing about it. Is he, he, he gets too passive at times when you mentioned that he's not necessarily making everything and he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily demand the ball. And that's one thing I think he needs to do more of for BYU is say, no, get out of the way. This is my, I'm, I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to go get this bucket. I'm going to generate some offense for BYU single-handedly. And that, that passivity can, can affect BYU's offense at times. The other thing about it is he is a little bit, he's not necessarily the most fleet footed guy. So I, I think a very fast attacking guard who's able to get downhill on him may have a little bit of an advantage on him. But the one thing he counters that with, as I mentioned, he's got a seven, one wingspan. He he just kind of reach out and swat it. If a smaller guard tries to go past him. So, it's, it's interesting to see him play, but there's a reason why NBA draft analysts and scouts across the league have been paying attention. And I'm sure there'll be uh, some in attendance down there in Lubbock uh, to watch him and other players from tech as well. So he, he, is he your two? Is he your primary one? He's your point guard or is he your number two guy? 
So he is the, he's the he's right now with Trevin Nell out. He's actually been coming off the bench as BYU's sixth man of most of this year with Trevin Nell in the starting lineup. And Trevin Nell, by the way, when he's on fire, he had uh, 29 points against uh, Cincinnati in that loss. He was absolutely just torching it. Uh, 27 points, excuse me. Made nine three-pointers in that game. Absolutely incredible performance right. for him. But if he's not available, then you put Jackson Robinson. He plays the two for BYU. But when Dallin Hall needs a breather, Jackson Robinson actually runs the point for BYU as their backup point guard right now. So you're going to see him play in large doses and different roles and he's really kind of adapting to playing that point guard role because it wasn't necessarily the uh, the way they started the season with him as that number two point guard but uh, he will play that role and he's been very very suited to playing the sixth man he's coming along as that backup point guard but yeah if he if he's in the starting lineup tomorrow he will be the primary number two guy and then that could almost pose problems for Texas Tech with their their backcourt being as small as they are if he has that kind of length between Tucson and Pop Isaacs, I don't think their arms reach that far together, you know. So it's going to be I, – I could see what you're talking about, getting beat to the rim, but being able to use that length at your advantage whenever a ball – whenever a layup is going going up, you know, going to recover really quick. So that's just something that Texas Tech Coach McCaslin and company is going to have to deal with. So on also on the offensive side, one last thing. It, with the two bigger guys, with Waterman and Khalifa – is this more of an inside out kind of game and that's how you guys get open for the three? Is it a pick and roll kind of offense? What kind of offense is getting all these three point attempts going for you guys? Uh, it's about, it's actually a bunch of uh, ball screening. That's what it is. It's not necessarily, uh, they'll screen and pop and do that stuff every so often, but, uh, Texas Tech fans get to know the name Ali Khalifa. He is a six foot eleven uh, wizard at passing the basketball. They call him the Egyptian magician, and for good reason. This is a guy that he, <laughs> he, he'll play. I'm, I'm telling you, Joe. That's he's great. That's great. That's the <laughs> great. It's a great nickname, but he has really come into his own. He's got the ability to play in the high post. He can shoot the three. He shot it at 40% a year ago at Charlotte before transferring to BYU. Uh, he'll play in that high post, and BYU's players cut off of him extremely well. And he's got that height at 6'11". I'm not going to say that he is Nikola Jokic because there's only Nikola Jokic in himself. Right. He's, he's the only one. But the passing ability of, of what Ali Khalifa can do in this BYU offense is Nikola Jokic-esque because he's got the ability to see the court at that six foot eleven. He can look over almost right. any defender that's on him. He finds angles. He'll drop a pass. And you'll see guys like uh, Jackson Robinson go right to the rim. He'll dump a pass off to him, and it's an easy land. He's got the ability to open up the entire offense with that because, as you mentioned, Noah Waterman, also at six foot eleven, he's not afraid to step out to the three-point line and shoot a three. He's actually more suited to play on the perimeter than he is on the interior, just being a skinny as he is so this is a BYU team that yeah they do have some size on the inside to defend but they will step out they can play five out with two six eleven guys if they have to and when those guys aren't on the court who are you guys imploring do you guys have a small lineup that y'all run with whenever Khalif and Waterman aren't out there yeah, they'll, so they'll run a smaller lineup. Uh, Atiki Ali Atiki is the backup five right now for BYU, and he's about six foot nine, but he's just a, he's a human pogo stick. He's a, just a real good athlete. He's not necessarily the most polished player, but he's just got he's pure right. energy on the court. Uh, him and Richie Saunders in that in that second unit, they are both just energy guys, and uh, they are running up and down the court. And yes, it's a smaller lineup in that second unit for BYU, but they try and make up for it with the pace and just the overall just uh, energy that they play with. So. We'll have our hands full is what it sounds like. You know, if you have a bigger man, we obviously height and we don't have a whole lot of, I know that we have Warren Washington at seven foot. Then all of our guys are just sub that six, eight, six, seven. And even some of the bigger guys that Texas tech has 
we don't even play him, you know, in EY and in, in Kai, Kai Lindsey, which is a former four-star recruit out of um, Dallas, Texas area, somewhere in there, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, so you guys would definitely have the height advantage on us there. So I'm assuming that Tech's main goal would be to get some of these guys in foul trouble because we're the number one shooting free throw team in the Big 12. We're tops in the nation in, in that regard. Get into those big guys, getting our guys to the line, you know, to try to generate those those freebie points, you know, those points that could ultimately push the push you over the edge to a victory by, you know, how all these Big 12 games play out naturally. Well, and that's the thing about it. BYU so far in Big 12 play, they've been at the the one thing BYU kind of their main weakness is the overall athleticism of this team. It's not necessarily as athletic as other Big 12 teams. And as a result, they're going to foul more often. You can look at that UCF game that BYU played. UCF shot a number of free throws in that game. And it was because BYU just was not able to match them athletically. And when you're less athletic, typically you're going to foul more often because you're not in a position to defend as well as you need to. So, yes, if Texas Tech is smart, yeah, they will attack BYU relentlessly. They'll try and get Ali Khalifa, Noah Water, and Atiki Ali Tiki, and whoever else they can in foul trouble. Get them on the bench because that's going to give you an advantage at that point. BYU, uh, with the injuries right now to Fuseni Triori and Trevin Nell, they played with a seven-man rotation against Iowa State. And that was the smallest rotation BYU's played with all year. They've been playing with a nine- and ten-man rotation most of the season. So really got short short-handed in that game. And if that's going to be this case against Texas Tech, yeah, the Red, Red Raiders by all means should attack BYU and try and get them in foul trouble. Yeah, it's really tough in this league to to more or less have just six guys and seven guys just running out there. I mean, this is just the battles that are are out there on the court. We run the eight um, with Lamar Washington, Chance McMillan, and Robert Jennings coming off the bench. But uh, McMillan's going to be the bigger minutes guy. I think he's up there with the minutes with um, Kerwin Walton. So he could be essentially playing starting minutes from that sixth spot. So um, we're going to have to run some guys out there. If we get, don't get you guys in foul trouble, we're going to – we've been bullied once this year, like totally bullied. Well, let, let me rephrase. We got bullied on Wednesday too. We just got out – Houston's physical. They got the number one yeah. defense for a reason. They're a very, very tough team to play. We played them after they lost two straight. You know, all of those ingredients were for an ass whooping. There's no other ways around oh. that. It's just how it comes and goes in the Big 12. Well, that, that's right. the thing about it is BYU faces you guys uh, Saturday, and then you, Houston comes to Provo on Tuesday. And this is uh, – so the, for the first time in – let's see. So it was 1981 was the last time BYU played three straight-ranked opponents in their basketball history. That's when Danny Ainge, the longtime Boston Celtics, now you've yes, got front office executive, he was playing for BYU last time they played three straight-ranked opponents. That's, it's been that long since that happened for BYU. This is a new era for BYU. It's a new world for them, and they're going to have to learn to adapt to it. And they picked up that win against Iowa State. I think it's very important that they got that Huge. win because it very well could be that they go 0-2 against Tech and also against Houston on Tuesday. Uh, but that's, that, that's the nature of the beast when it comes to the Big 12 is every game, every single game, I don't care who it is, <laughs> is going to be a battle. Correct. Now, jumping onto the defensive side of the ball, mm-hmm. you guys typically man, or you guys close off the 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 lane. What kind of defense are we expecting to see from you guys on Saturday? 
to answer in a word, yes, all of that. That's the thing about this is Hill Fennel, uh, there, I just mentioned he's a defensive coordinator, he's right. one of the assistant coaches. He has brought in a philosophy that literally possession by possession, he will call out different defenses. They'll go from a 1-3-1 oh. zone to going to man. They'll go to drop into a 2-3 zone. They'll go play a box in one if they have to. They're not afraid to mix and match and do whatever they need to do. They feel like to give themselves a defensive advantage because I think they understand that they are at an athletic disadvantage and they have to kind of generate uh, turnovers by the way that they defend opposing teams. So don't be surprised if you're a Texas Tech fantasy, BYU all of a sudden come down the court sitting in a 1-3-1 zone and you're like, what in the world <laughs> happened? And then two possessions later, they go man-to-man and they're just they're, they're switching everything. BYU is not afraid to switch it up, and they will switch it up possession by possession. He, Hill Fennel, he is on the bench, and you see him constantly motioning to guys, calling out different defenses. So, yeah, they, they run it all. They run zone. They run man. They're not afraid to use whatever they feel like is to their advantage, and it's it's a new philosophy because last year they really tried to play a lot of man, and they drop into zone if they had to. But I think that the idea this year is we're going to mix it up, confuse uh, the opposition, and see what that yields. I'm almost interested just to see that being called out, like almost like lines in a, in a hockey match. You'll, you'll see them. And here's the thing. I, I I had a conversation with Noah Waterman actually earlier this week during media availability. And I actually asked him the question, like who calls that out on the court? He said, essentially one person or one or two people look over, get the call. And then they start barking at everybody else on the court and you'll see him. You'll see him in that scramble drill a little bit. You'll see him start yelling at each other. And all of a sudden they'll kind of morph the defense because that's what it is. You got to do it on the fly. And they've they've trained all offseason long through the non-conference season here to be able to move into those defenses at a moment's notice. They, they, uh, there have been multiple points during this season, Joe, that I've seen them. They go into a 1-3-1 zone, but they just don't. it's not effective. And then the very next time down the court, you see them switch into a, a man defense. It, it's, it's incredible how quickly they're able to get those calls in because that's not typical of most college basketball programs. As you mentioned, most college basketball programs right. have a tried and true method of how they do it. It's been right. really atypical this year to watch BYU do it on defense. It's just like, hey, it's a mixed bag. You're going yeah. to you're going to see it all. Tra- the trail mix yeah. defense, you know. Yes. I don't know what else you would call it at this point in time, but you know. And as far as full court pressure, is that something that you guys implore as well? A mix with the defenses like that. They've used it when they need to. It's not something that they they, they, they go with all the time. I know that uh, Iowa State, for example, likes to do that trap. They like to trap right. people a lot. There's other teams that, that will like to press you all, all game long. That's not BYU style. They will press you if they feel like they can get an advantage. And if there's if they do force a couple of turnovers in the backcourt, they'll go more to that. But it's not their typical style. They like to get back and get back into position and hopefully rebound and then avoid uh, giving up extra possessions on the defensive glass. And on the defensive side, who's the best on 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 ball defender and who's the best defender overall? Is it the same guy? Is it a mixed bag of a couple of different guys that that play solid defense for you guys? I'm going to say that Spencer Johnson is one of the guys who's the best, and he might be the consummate BYU player. Because Any Texas Tech fan is going to see Spencer Johnson and think, how is that dude capable of playing Division One basketball? And it's nothing right. against Spencer, but he's 6'5", right. he's tenacious, he's, he's just an absolute dog out there. He loves playing hoop. So he'll he'll get after it. I think he's maybe the the best just overall, just on sheer effort. The most naturally gifted though is probably a guy like a Jackson Robinson, just with his prodigious length. Being seven foot right. one wingspan, he's got that ability to really affect things. But the other guy I really like on defense myself is Trevin Nell. I'm hoping he's able to play because this is a guy who has got the reputation his entire career of just being a pure shooter. Uh, this year though, he's been a very very capable on ball defender. He's really worked on that side of his game. So not having him on the court is going to hurt BYU chances if he doesn't play but he's been very very good this year on the perimeter 
and we did kind of just touch on it a little bit between Foose and Nell. Mm -hmm. They're both probable for the game is what I was reading. Is it? I would say Foose is more questionable. I think Nell is probable. That's how I would term it. And obviously those are big blows. I mean, y'all, I mean, you have to learn how to play without some of these guys and you guys have done that and actually succeeded. So it's just one of those things. Now jumping to the Texas side, Texas Tech side of it. Is there any key guy that Pope's talked about keeping an eye on? I know Pop Isaacs at times just goes off. You know, he just from anywhere on the court, he'll do the whole Steph Curry deal. Tucson is just a dog. I mean, there's no other way. This kid's from from New York, so you know how those kids are. Not too far from from Harlem, and you yep. know the the basketball courts down there where it's just hard nosed, gritty. Everything the Big Twelve is. Kerwin gets hot at times. Darian Williams, an ex-freshman um, of the year. Chance McMillan's got hot in a couple of different games. Is there any set of particular players that um, Coach Pope has, you know, emphasized that we need to slow these guys down to be successful tomorrow? Well, it's the first two you mentioned. It's Pop Isaacs. It's also Joe Toussaint. Those, those two guys, you mentioned, they're not those are the biggest guys. I think uh, it was Isaac's 6'2", and then I think Toussaint's like 6'1". Something that... Being saying Pop Isaacs is six two is is being a real generous. I'm, okay, well, I sit I'm, at I sit I'm, at five I'm, I sit at five nine five ten, <laughs> and me and him aren't that far off from each well, other. But you know, I'm just, I'm just saying, like just based on what I've seen from their roster, they're yes. not necessarily the biggest guys. But as you mentioned, they've got the ability to create off the dribble, and you mentioned they have that unlimited range, especially Pop Isaac. So those have been the two names that were kind of brought up when we talked with Coach Pope and the conversations you had with folks about this team, and they know what Texas Tech is capable. They know that this is a team that, yeah, they're not the biggest team size-wise, but what they do is have really good athleticism, and when you have a guy like Pop Isaacs who can pull it from 40 and, and drain it with ease, that opens up everything. That opens the entire floor up for a, a Texas right. Tech squad. So BYU is very wary of what Texas Tech brings to the table, and they'll be doing their best to keep Isaacs and Toussaint in check and hope that maybe uh, keeping those two guys down a little bit will give them a better opportunity to win, potentially. Yeah, the last two games, there's been multiple times when we played Kansas State, and then obviously whenever we played Houston, this most recent game where Texas Tech, we went cold for you know stretches of the game that ultimately kind of doomed us. Maybe not so much in the Kansas State game that happened in the first half. We're able to you know kind of recover, come back, claw our way back, you know, to get that win there late. So it's I don't see if we're playing that kind of, you know, five to seven minute run without any points, us being successful in this game. And I think that's something that is probably going to get corrected, but you never know because basketball is just, you know, you could get hot, you could get cold on any given Saturday, Tuesday, however you want to phrase it. It's, it's big 12 basketball and basketball just in general. So is there a player that you guys are keeping an eye on that's kind of under the radar that y'all don't really talk about that's not a Tucson, that's not a Pop Isaacs? Well, it's Warren Washington for me personally, just because BYU's issue is they don't necessarily have prodigious length in the interior. I know that Noah Waterman and Ali Khalifa are six foot eleven, but they don't play near that 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 type of length and height as you would imagine. Just right. they're not 
They're not the most defensive minded. I like Warren Washington. He's all a seven feet and he's a very, very athletic big man. And I, I point back to some of the guys that BYU's faced already in big 12 play. Uh, you look at Ibrahim, uh, what's uh, Diallo from UCF. He's a set, true seven footer and he gave BYU fits in that game against UCF. He lived at the line because BYU simply just could not contain him. He was rebounding like a machine. So Warren Washington is, is a worry for me just because of his ability as a, as a true seven footer to really uh, make life miserable, protect that rim for Texas Tech. That's going to make things difficult for BYU where they're going to have to rely more on that outside shot potentially to win this game if they're going to pull off a, a win. Yeah, Warren Washington is also a very big assist guy. I don't know if you have read the box scores of any of the recent Texas Tech games, but he sees, obviously, you know, you're a tree. You see everything from that height, you know. So when we have shooters all over the floor between at Kerwin, Pop Isaacs, Toussaint, maybe not so much, Darian Williams and Chance McMillan, and then that you just see over, throw it over, make a solid pass, you know, and you have that open look, you know, it's all about moving the ball around. And we have been doing that well. Then our turnovers have been down. I don't know exactly how well you guys are doing as far as forcing turnovers or, you know, things like that. But Texas Tech has really limited the opportunities for the opposing team to get those freebies, you know, uh, uh, fast breaks and all of those other things like that. So I think that's going to be another key to the game you know, for, for Texas tech. And as far as what BYU is keys to the game, what are you looking at as the big keys to this game for the Cougars to come into Lubbock and leave with a victory? Uh, well, first thing you mentioned turnovers, BYU's got to take care of the basketball. When they've lost games this year, they have lost the turnover battle and they've lost it in spades. They they have to keep it in single-digit turnovers in this game if they want to win it, it feels like. And I know that sounds much easier than <laughs> And done, but that, that's basketball in a nutshell. You got to take care of the basketball. And I, BYU's best success comes when they share the basketball and they're not turning it over. So you mentioned Warren Washington, his ability to really kind of move the ball. Well, it's the same thing with Ali Khalifa. He's got, he runs a lot of this offense for BYU. So you can see two big men really running things in this game. But uh, if you can force some turnovers, that's going to be key for BYU to get some easy uh, buckets in transition because when the Cougars get out on the run, they've actually been pretty deadly at getting uh, points off of those turnovers. So yeah, take care of the basketball for some turnovers and the other thing for me is BYU needs to generate extra, extra possessions uh Texas Tech doesn't necessarily play at the biggest at uh, the highest pace of uh, teams in the Big 12 so there's gonna be limited possessions in this game so if BYU can get some extra possessions by getting some offensive rebounds it'd be very very advantageous for them to potentially pull out the win down there in Lubbock which should be a hell of a game like we've discussed plenty of times and we'll probably discuss the rest of the year within the Big 12 and basketball games here, there, or the other. Yeah. So from a game aside, mm -hmm. as far as being in the Big 12 now on the basketball slate, you were there for the football slate, mm -hmm. got to see the teams come in, you got to travel, you know, the way games in the Big 12. How has life been in the Big 12 on the basketball side of things this year? It's actually been really fun, honestly. And I know the Big 12, it's far and away the best basketball conference in the country. But this is what I kind of grew up watching is this kind of, this kind of basketball. And what I mean by that is I grew up watching the WAC uh, with, remember, the great Utah teams of yesteryear with Keith Van Horn, Andre yeah. Miller back in the 90s. Uh, you also had in the 2000s, they had the San Diego States with Kawhi Leonard. You also had Jimmer Fredette for BYU. Though those environments are more of what the Big 12 is now, and that's what the Mountain West and WAC were way back when. And that's that's something that was missed for BYU the past 13 years that they were in the West Coast Conference. And it's nothing against the WCC, it's just they're not that big of schools like they are here in the Big 12. So 
honestly, it's been a ton of fun. Uh, the best part about this is, is literally every one of these games is going to have near sellout crowds. It feels like, and they're going to be absolutely rabid, whether it's uh, rooting for their home team, or if you're on the road, the, they're, you're obviously going to be the most hated people in the gym, but that's the, <laughs> that's, that's the best part about this is it it's, it's true college basketball at its finest uh you've got to bring it every single night that's one thing BYU football learned this year is that there were games that they didn't show up and they got absolutely the they got blown out as a result of that the basketball program for BYU is learning that lesson as well you got to be able to bring it every night and that's difficult to do because this is literally every game you've got to show up and so far, BYU, I think, has held their own, bouncing back after going 0-2 to start the conference, getting back to 2-2 two two right now. That's a positive sign for them, but it doesn't get any easier. Uh, Texas Tech ranked opponent, oh, Houston ranked opponent. Kansas is not too far off here for BYU when they make their first trip to Fog Allen Fieldhouse. Look, this is this conference is absolutely nuts, but the, the, the fact that BYU's in it, that makes it all worth it. And as far as the the Big Twelve, I had a, a question that it was on the tip of my tongue that I was about to about to ask you regarding some of the some of the Big Twelve landscape and things like that, and it it just um, just slipped my mind. Um, yeah. um, but going on to uh, you were talking about you know the old nineteen nineties kind mm-hmm. of basketball. We talked before we started recording. This is the first time that Tech and BYU will meet since 1995. Tech faithful and Lubbock people around 1995-96, James Dickey and the basketball yeah. squad that this Texas Tech roster had was full of studs, you know, Mark uh, Sasser, Tony Batie, guess who? Mr. Lakers head coach himself, Darvin Ham was on that team yeah. the last time that BYU and Texas Tech got together on the hardwood floor. Um, those are, those are games that, you know, don't happen very often. You have four of your five starters for that Texas tech basketball team all eventually make it into the NBA in some regard. And, you know, you guys actually held together in that game. I looked at the box score. Um, it was only a nine point win here in Lubbock at the old Coliseum, which is just like a big a Coliseum, but I mean, it wasn't like a major venue that what the United, the, the arena is now, you know, probably held like anywhere between like eight and 9,000 people, you know, something like Baylor or Houston, you know, but they were, it was a frenzy back then, a 30, 30 and two overall record. That was the last time that these teams hooked up and that, what are your thoughts? Can you even think back that far about those kinds of teams and that, that particularly that Texas tech basketball team? So I, I can remember back to that era for BYU because, as you mentioned, that 95 year, BYU was really good. But then, it, so right after that happened, the bottom fell out on BYU. I don't know how many, how many tech fans may realize this, but in 1997, 1998, BYU had their worst basketball season ever, Joe. They went 1-25. in 25. The bottom <laughs> They fired their coach midseason uh, the year before, and it just it, you know, it actually fired them like maybe early on that season, and like it just literally fell all apart. They brought in a guy by the name of Steve Cleveland, who was a former junior college coach at Fresno City Community College, and he came in and had to rebuild BYU literally from the ground up, and uh, it took some time. He got them back to the NCAA tournament in 01, if I recall, was the first time that they went under him, and then Dave Rose took over from there, and it, it's been it, it's been a very very good basketball program. But the funny thing is when you mentioned like 95, 96, I'm like, yeah, that was some really good era of basketball. Cause you mentioned the, the red Raiders were really good during that era. BYU is pretty plus. 
lucky themselves at that point. But then literally, if the bottom fell out, they went one in 25 that year. I have a, a vivid memory. I actually attended the only win of that 97-98 season. They beat, <laughs> they beat Utah State at home in Provo, and I was there at that game. That's really all I remember of that year. But it it's crazy to consider how far BYU has come before that and obviously when that fell out and then the build that they've gone through now to build up to where they are today uh, it's kind of crazy to consider that it that's the type of stuff happens but that's the thing about basketball it's cyclical it, it changes you mentioned some of the memories of those uh, 95 uh, era uh, Texas Tech teams well Red Raider fans are never going to forget that BYU fans will never forget the Jimmer Fredette era I will never forget right. Jimmer did at BYU in 2010 and 2011 so that's yeah. the fun part about this and the hope is that as BYU continues here in the Big 12 alongside pro programs like Texas Tech is they can build their rosters and every so often yeah you have a team like a Houston has had recently the Kansas teams and you build up a, a team and all of a sudden they go and they just blow up and they're memorable for decades to come that's the whole dream of what this whole thing's about and you can't get any better than Big 12 basketball and it's only going to get harder when we add Arizona next year yep. and some of yep. these other um programs to the big 12 it's just going to make it that much more competitive you guys get utah again i'll be happy to cheer with you guys whenever you guys face them it just seems right you know what i'm saying it just seems right that's the thing to do i uh, there was this twitter follower twitter from um utah or utes pig bus or something like that and they just said some of the most absentine things and i'm like come on guy like this is like you're I wanted to like you like I wanted to like yeah. you guys. And now you guys are public enemy number one in the 806. So they're going to get a very, very warm welcome to Lubbock eventually in due time. And I can't yeah. wait to be there, whatever sport it may be, football, basketball, baseball, whatever the case may be. Whenever they they've they venture to the, the panhandle, they're going to be welcomed and yeah. probably not the best of ways to, to say the least. So um, but that's kind of just off to the side okay. um, getting back into the game here itself. Um, we talked keys to the game. We've talked players. We talked pretty much everything, coaching styles. Um, one thing that I forgot to ask you when we were talking about coach Pope, what do you guys think and uh, how have you um, seen and liked anything that coach McCaslin has done this year and even previously um, from you know his stops at North Texas and all of the other places that he's been. Well, the biggest thing for a guy like uh, McCaslin is think about Texas Tech of late. They had they've had some pretty interesting situations with their coaching staff, et cetera. That have, we're in the uh, middle of an interesting situation right now. Sure, sure, you are. But that's the thing about it is Tech has been able to kind of navigate all of it and just kind of ignore all the off the court stuff and continue to play competitive basketball. That that that's actually really impressive to me from an outside perspective. I'm up here right. in. Lake City watching it from a distance but the, you look at all the storylines of what tech has gone through with the Chris Beard situation and not just all the different stuff that they've dealt with and the fact that they're continuing to compete on a game in and game out basis and they remain in the mix that's a credit to what coach McCaslin and just what the Texas Tech program has been able to do they kind of they're able to kind of compartmentalize okay we got all this other stuff on the outside let's just ignore all the fluff on the outside right. let's focus on just playing basketball here and that's awesome to see because there are a lot of programs that would have just okay we're yeah I'm out and they would just they would have crumbled under what tech has dealt with but it's been really cool to see what coach McCaslin's done and the hope is that we'll 
continue. Obviously, uh, there's hopefully right. better days ahead for Texas Tech, and they don't have the the seemingly constant turnover that it's been the past right. few years. But uh, I think that it's been cool to see Tech, no matter what's been going on, coaching staff or otherwise, they've been able to continue to just kind of focus on the here and now and just, hey, we're playing who. Right. You know, I've just I've talked about this in previous pods that we've had about weathering the storm and that that's on the court and off the court kind mm-hmm. of situations. Obviously, the whole Pop Isaac situation in itself is kind of like one of those that's teetering. You know, I have a 16 year old daughter, so it's like, you know, for me personally, I feel a certain way about it. And then sure. all of the other facts that came out, which, you know, have been made public, which I don't really need to talk about. I think it's you could Google it if you want to look it up, but yeah, you know, one of those kind of like rain clouds that kind of follows you, you know, yeah. with the Chris Beard situation of him driving 50 miles north of Lubbock to go meet up with Del Con at a McDonald's, you know, for breakfast, and then ultimately, you know, uh-huh. doing that that whole deal, and then the Mark Adams deal, uh-huh. pre- preaching like he's the Pope to certain players, and you know, scaring people, some 18 year old kid who's never touched the Bible, and thinking that it's you know some kind of you know, whatever it may be, you know, it's, it's just that rain cloud, you know, obviously the, the whole situation now, I think it seems like it's kind of under wraps, you know, the, the title nine has done their due diligence. Texas tech has done their due diligence as far as pop Isaacs is gone. So, I mean, obviously he's been on the court and I don't expect that to change based on some of the things that I know that are happening with it. But to your point, they've had all these different things going on and they've still been, been successful to a degree last year kind of was eh, whatever you know but we we were we were competitive in a lot of games that we thought we were going to get our ass kicked because of how we were playing we didn't know who was starting you know a lot of just a bunch of other things that were going on there so um but all of that aside coach mccasson's great coach pope's great they've kind of Work their way up the the ladder from assistance. They've worked mm-hmm. under some great minds as far as basketball coaching goes. Um, with your with Pope being there at Kentucky for so long, and then also Coach McCaslin being at Baylor as well under the Scott Drew tree because that tree is actually pretty massive as well. So some great coaches there, and that that just propels this league up to the next level, and it's great to see. So moving to the game itself. Putting you on the spot. This is what we do. How are you feeling this Friday evening? Nine o'clock central time for me, seven o'clock mountain time for you. What are you feeling? How do you see this game playing out? And do the BYU Cougars come to the hub city and leave with a victory? I'm feeling actually pretty good about BYU because I think they kind of figured out a lot of what they needed to do to win games in the Big 12 the last two games. They've got some momentum uh, coming in into, into this one. If you go by most of the metrics, this is a pretty down-the-middle game. Any team could win it. So uh, I'm going to say BYU by like two points. Give me like BYU like 76, Texas Tech 74. I think it's going to be one of those games that really comes down to the wire. But I'll play Homer here, and I'll pick BYU to win it in a nail-biter. <laughs> hey, I mean, I – I've picked against tech more times than not this year. And the only one that I got right so far was Wednesday's game. I was like, you know, I think this is the, this is the day the wheels kind of come off. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm one for three in my tech picks. So um, we've done well at home. Obviously we're undefeated here. It's a very tough place to play as it's well-documented across the board. So I'm just looking for another great um, big 12 atmosphere for, 
for our conference moving forward. It's just, you know, it just propels us, our league, that much higher when we have these top tier games on a weekend, week out basis. It's just really fun basketball to watch. Even if you don't even have any skin in the game, you could just turn on a Big 12 basketball game and it's going to be enjoyable. I mean, nine times out of 10, unless you get maybe Oklahoma State, West Virginia, maybe. But even those teams play very well at home. And they can cause problems and they could play spoiler. That's just how it is. So with that, we're coming to the end here. I did it to you last time, man. Uh, This is Jake Hatch fashion. What's on your mind to close out this evening, my man? Well, I just kind of want to echo what you just said is this is a league that's so much fun to watch. I'll admit I I watched a lot of BYU basketball during the West Coast Conference era, but it was only when BYU was playing a West Coast Conference team. I wasn't tuning in when Pepperdine was playing San Diego. Sorry to the waves and to the Torero. (laughs) Right. That was not my thing. I was watching other things, NBA basketball, most notably because I do sports radio here in Salt Lake. But uh, the thing about the Big 12 is. This is a league that I can turn on any one of these games. Yeah, you mentioned Oklahoma State and West Virginia, who look like they're kind of the bottom of the conference. But they, you mentioned, they play really well at home, and they got the ability to bite you if, if you don't take them seriously. And that's that's the fun part about this league. It's 14 teams right now. It's going to be 16 next year. But it feels like every single one of those programs has got some pride. They've got some talent. And the best part about it is they have got – entertaining styles of basketball. They all all got different styles that they play with, but I can watch any one of these games. I can watch Kansas and UCF play, for example. And that was a crazy upset down there in Orlando, but I also could watch, I can watch Baylor and Cincinnati and enjoy it just as much as if I'm watching who I cover and that's BYU. So that's the fun part about this league. So that's kind of my thought is, Let's enjoy this. This is really, really cool stuff. This is the highest level of basketball that exists in college basketball. Every single game seemingly across the league has got one or two NBA type talents in it. So we're, we're privileged as big 12 fans to have this literally right in our, right on our doorstep. And those are the spoken words from Mr. Locked on Cougars himself. Jake, one last thing. This game is, is coming up for you guys on your schedule. As tech faithful and as a person who's talked to you handful of times here and there, if you guys beat those Longhorns, can you give your first horns down and put it on Twitter? Uh, it, it'll happen. I, I got like I got like zero doubt it'll happen in some form or fashion, and I and I sincerely hope that we get the same type of outburst that UCF got the other night. Oh, I would really, I would. I mean, it's even better in the Twitter spaces, to be completely honest. If you thought the coach's reaction was oh, yeah. bad and classless, you know, just wait till oh. the Longhorn Nation kind of gets in on that whenever the horns down is thrown up. Yeah. You know, every team Super Bowl, but, you know, they've kind of been on the slide of, of late. So um, just last thing, man, Locked On Cougars, Jake Hatch from BYU, Mr. Cougar tell himself mm-hmm. everything about BYU. You want to hear it, hit him up, Locked On Cougar. Um, I don't remember your personal Twitter handle. It's Jake Hatch at BYU or Jacob C. Hatch. It's my full name. So it's really simple. And if you want to, if you want to search out the show, it's under its name, Locked on Cougars. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Jake, again, I can't say it enough. I appreciate you coming on these things with me and with our group whenever I have a full staff here, but you know, it's kind of a little hard (laughs) these, the, at the start of the year with job, climate, everything, you know, life, life happening, you know, 
So I really do appreciate every time you come on with us. It's a joy to talk to you, talk basketball, talk football. I'm assuming baseball is going to happen at some point in time. You know, me and you have stay in pretty decent contact. So I do once again appreciate you jumping on with me this evening. And to the rest of Lubbock, Texas, the Panhandle and the South Plains, get your guns up, wreck them, and hope we're talking soon about a Texas Tech victory over the Cougars. But it's going to be another tough one. Thank you and good night.